All right, we are talking in our series called No, Learning to Say Yes to God from People Who Said No. And so we've been here for uh, three or four weeks now, and, uh, and as we prepare to continue to talk about this today, I, I was thinking about my own personal love for names. If you've met me, one of my questions for you is your name. I usually forget it uh, right away and then remember it later. And, uh, but I have a thing for middle names. Like, I love to know people's middle names because middle names are crazy and fun. But I just love names in general. As my wife can testify, every time she was pregnant, uh, which was a lot, uh, we, we, I love to invent crazy names for our children. And, uh, and I like to suggest names for our children. Some of these were not so serious, and I just had fun like, Hortense is a great name that we did not choose. Uh, I love Chicago Cubs-related names like Wrigley and Nomar, which some of our pets ended up with those names. I like uh, clever names like Babbling, because my last name is Brooks. So Babbling Brooks would have been a great name for a kid. Uh, Delilah, no one names their kid Delilah or Jezebel. Uh, I liked those names for girls. And recently, uh, I've come across the name Xanthippe, which I just think is one of the greatest names ever invented for a girl. So if you are pregnant right now, and I would suggest Xanthippe to you. Now, some of my absurd names, but uh, there were some not so silly names uh, like uh, Rhino and Seven. I was serious about those kind of names. But my favorite name of all time was the name Reviser. Reviser. Yeah, you, you know me. You know I love the name Reviser. Uh, I was doing some research into my family tree and found the middle name Reviser in about three or four generation of Brookses. And uh, I just think that's the greatest thing. I worked hard to convince my wife to, that our sixth child, Malachi, should be named Reviser to no avail. Uh, and I didn't even get a middle name Reviser, as cool as that would be. I'm hoping that someday I'll get a grandkid with the middle name Reviser and all will be well. Now, I tell you all this about my crazy love for weird names because of this. In all my love for names, not once did I ever suggest the name Judas to my wife. Not once did I ever suggest that name. Judas is a name that doesn't get uh, used all that often. I looked up the stats in the United States in 2014, exactly 0.00054% of all babies born were named Judas. That's a pretty low number, okay? Uh, Not too many people are naming their kid Judas. Why? Because Judas betrayed the Savior of the world. I mean, who wants to name their child after Judas? He followed Jesus for three years, and at some point, Judas just quit. He just quit. He quit. He said, no, I'm not interested in Jesus anymore. We're in this series, No, Learning to Say Yes to God from People Who Said No. Two weeks ago, Aaron started us off on this journey talking about Jonah, and and we learned and were challenged to love people the way God loves them. And last week, we looked at Pharaoh, who really had a very hard heart towards God, and we were challenged to have a soft, tender heart towards God. This week, we're going to look at Judas, who said no by betraying Jesus. And really, Judas quit on Jesus. Judas quit quit on Jesus. If you think about it, before Jesus was crucified, the night before he was crucified in the garden, he'd been up all night praying. He'd known what was going to happen. Jesus had been in agony. And there in the garden, as you, if you remember the story, Jesus in the garden, contemplating his death, which he knows is about to come. And 11 of his disciples, sleepy as they were, were with him. But one was missing. 
See, the Jews had co-opted the Romans to do their dirty work. They needed the Romans to crucify Jesus because in the political realm of the day, Jews couldn't crucify someone. That was a Roman work. And the Romans had no idea what Jesus was like, or they really had no idea who he was. In the day before media, uh, Jesus' picture wasn't everywhere. And so they needed someone to say, hey, that's the guy. That's Jesus when they went to arrest him. And so Judas filled this role. And Judas had picked a rotten way to point Jesus out to the Romans. He'd picked a rotten way. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. You can hear the agony in Jesus' voice as this sign of affection, a a kiss on the cheek, a, a, a sign of affection in their day. And as you can hear Jesus, the agony in his voice where he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Judas, a friend of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, quit on Jesus. Not only did he quit on Jesus, then he joined forces with the enemy and did the bidding of Satan. Why did Judas get to this point? I mean, to go from a guy who was invested and in the team, he was a a, a disciple of Jesus, why did he do it? Well, Scripture doesn't give us a ton of answers on that regard of why. Uh, It's difficult to answer. We can try to provide a psychological profile for Judas, but really we're just guessing because Scripture doesn't do that. Evil really isn't understandable. I mean, when you boil it right down, we'd like to boil down evil to a formula and go, here's why evil happens, but it's not like that. Evil is absurd And that's part of its darkness. We can try to psychologically understand Judas, but at the end of the day, we may not want to. Because at the end of the day, we might see a little of ourselves in Judas. N.T. Wright said this, when when thinking about trying to come up with a psychological profile for why Judas would betray Jesus, he says, frankly, I'm happy not to peer down that murky well for too long. I might see reflections that I find disturbing. And isn't that just it? Uh, we stare at Judas and we are likely to see a reflection of ourselves. And, and that's dark. I mean, that's, I mean, hey, let's go to, to the gathering of Waukee Community Church today and talk about Judas. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of depressing to look into Judas and be afraid because we might see a little of ourselves there. Which one of us? hasn't betrayed Jesus? Which one of us hasn't said no to Jesus? Which one of us hasn't quit on Jesus? Which one of us hasn't betrayed Jesus? So what we need to do today is learn something from Judas so that not only do we avoid saying no to God, but in what we learn from Judas, we learn to say yes to God. Judas said no by quitting, and I want to talk about two aspects of this quitting today. The first aspect is simply this, how Judas got to the point of quitting. Let's look at how he got to the point where he was willing to say, I will sell out Jesus. If you do a little back history into Judas, you'll find the first thing we know about Judas is his, simply his name. His name uh, is Judas. It's a form of the tribe of Judah. That, the, the name Judas is a form of that. And literally, it means God leads, or Yahweh leads. That's literally what Judas' name means, Yahweh leads. And oh, the irony here, because Yahweh incarnate Jesus tried to lead Judas, 
But Judas said no. Judas was a very common name in Jesus' day. Uh, I, I think what we've learned when we study names in the first century is that, that Jewish names, especially male names, were in very short supply. It's like everybody has the same name. And uh, Jesus had a half-brother named Judas. Judas was just a very common name for boys in first century Israel. And so it was very common. So it became necessary to distinguish, especially after what Judas did. No one wanted to be confused with that. So we come to know Judas as Judas Iscariot. The word Iscariot tells us a lot about who G Judas was. Um, Iscariot probably, most likely, defines a location. It's from a town in southern Judah. Now, what's really interesting about this, if we identify this town, Judas Iscariot, this is the guy from southern Judah, from that town in southern Judah, uh, what we learn about Judas is that Judas was only the only one of the 12 disciples not from Galilee. Just think about that for a moment. Judas was the only one not from Galilee. Now, we could imagine, well, Judas was an outsider. He was never in the group because he wasn't from the same town, Galilee, same region, Galilee. And he just was never understood. That's why he did this. But we can't say that. We could imagine that he was just a misfit with these Galileans, but we can't really say that. But what we can say from this is that the other 11 disciples didn't grow up with Judas. They didn't know him like they knew each other. They didn't know who he was, and they didn't know him well. Judas was the one that, that was from the outside, Judas Iscariot. Now, we also learned from his name, we also learned that he had a call. Judas had a call. This is what's uh, interesting about Judas is that Judas received the same call that the other disciples received. He was taken in by Jesus and he was in awe just like the other disciples. He was in awe of Judas. Why would Judas leave everything behind and go follow Jesus? For the same reason the other 11 disciples did. He saw something in Jesus that he found it was worthy of giving up everything. Sometimes we forget that Judas made a sacrifice. We are hard on Judas, as are the gospel writers. Like, they don't leave us a pretty picture of Judas, as we're going to see later on. But sometimes we're hard on him, but we forget that he made the same sacrifice that the other 11 made. His call. He was called by Jesus. Now let this blow your mind. Jesus called Judas knowing full well what Jesus, Judas was going to do to him. That'll just blow your mind for a second. So we see that his name, we learn something about him from his name. We learn something about Judas from his call. But we also learn something about Judas from his journey. Judas had uh, an interesting journey because he shared, again, the same journey of these three years that the other 11 disciples shared. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He was sent out on mission with the other disciples. Do you remember when Judas uh, and all the disciples were sent out two by two to do kingdom work? In John 6, 67, um, we hear this interesting thing. Jesus had just given a hard teaching. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people were like, whoa, I mean, that's really weird. I mean, if I said that to you today, you'd be out of here, right? Like, the people are like, this is a hard teaching. John 6, 67. And then all of a sudden, Scripture, John tells us in John 6, everyone left Jesus except for the twelve. And they were with him. And Jesus looks at them and he says, 
you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter's response, on behalf of all the disciples, was, you alone had the words of life. Where would we go? You see, Judas, just like the other 11 disciples, got the G- he, he stuck, he stuck, stuck, stuck with Jesus in the hard time. If you're going to leave Jesus, John 6, 67 is the moment. Because everyone left Jesus and no one would think anything different about him quitting at that moment. Because everybody else quit on Jesus. But Judas stuck with it. He hung in there through all of this. And that was his journey like the other 11 disciples. We then learned something about the prophecy about Judas. You see, from, from centuries before, Judas had been predicted and what he would do. And Jesus cited this, knowing it would happen. Psalm 41.9 says this, Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. The betrayer of Jesus is predicted in Psalm 41, in Psalm 55, in Zechariah 11, and in others. The betrayer of Jesus was predicted. Jesus knew this, and he loved Judas anyway. He discipled him, he poured his life into Judas, and this is how Jesus works. Sometimes, you guys, you and I, if we were in Jesus' shoes... And we knew, oh, by the way, uh, this person's going to turn their back on me in three years. If I were Jesus, I would have been like, forget that. You know what? If you're going to leave, you might as well just leave now. If you're going to hurt me, get away from me now. In fact, I will just keep you at arm's length. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus loves those who hate him. Now, this is convicting. Who hates you? Who hates you? Could you love someone you know? Sometimes we meet people and we just know, like when the first couple weeks of meeting them, like this person is not going to end up well for me. <laughs> like, this is not going to go well if I'm in this relationship. Could you love that person anyway? Jesus did it. Think about just even politically. Sometimes uh, in politics, when we look at our own political position, it feels like there are others who are out there who oppose us, who are just w- wanting out to get us. Would you love your... How about political enemies? Even enough to seek their good? Uh, and, and this is more than just tolerate them or let them be. Love is so much more. Love is seeking the good of those who would betray and hate you. That is what Jesus teaches us in his relationship with, with Judas. Now that's a hard pill to swallow. And it might blow your mind if you think of that politically, socially, relationally with different people in your lives. Maybe a family or a relative, a person who's a fam- in your family, a relative, maybe someone like that, who you know that they're going to cause you damage. Jesus says, love them anyway. Love them and not only love them, invest in a relationship with them. If we don't learn anything about Jesus other than this today with Judas, that Jesus invested in someone he knew would betray him, if we don't learn that today, we miss the heart of Jesus and who he is. Judas had this prophecy and Jesus loved him anyway. But we learn more than just his prophecy. We learn about his change This is a fascinating thing, and we see a key moment in the story of Judas. The key moment happens when Mary anoints Jesus. She she took this oil, this expensive perfume, and poured it over his feet. I want to read you that story 
in John chapter 12. And the reason I want to read that for you here real quick is because you need to understand that this, I think, is a key moment in understanding who Judas was and how he changed. John chapter 12, verse 4, one of the disciples, Judas, um, excuse me, uh, if, if you read just a little bit before that, Mary, verse 3, took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, stop for a minute and imagine this. You're in a first century house. This is no, uh, you know, west side of Des Moines kind of house here, right? I mean, this is a first century one-room house. And, uh, and, you know, there's no ventilation, right? Like maybe a little window. And uh, just think dirt floor, modest place. And Jesus is there. And, and one of his followers, Mary, comes up to him. And she takes an expensive bottle of perfume and dumps it. On. Imagine the fragrance that filled that room. I mean, I mean, talk about excessive wastefulness. I mean, you needed a drop of this perfume. And she pours it all there. She, she pours it all there. So you can imagine the fragrance of this house. And here's what Judas says, verse 4. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Uh, A year's wage. I mean, just put your salary in your mind right now, whatever your yearly salary is, and imagine a bottle of perfume that that's, that's expensive, right? Like, no one should buy that. But anyway, uh, imagine that, okay? So you have a dollar figure in your head right now. Imagine what that dollar figure could do for the poor, for, for Jesus' ministry. I mean, Judas is thinking, hey, whoa, 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 what a waste. What a waste. A year's wages. But we keep reading. John, John, the gospel writer, is just brutal on Judas. He tells us what Judas' true motivation was. Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor. Oh, okay. He didn't say it because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. <laughs> Judas is thinking, if we took that money, we sold it, we put it in the money bag, that's a sweet amount for me personally. Like, I, I, I don't know what he was, would take out of there, but that was a lot of money for him. Now, at some point, and this is a key moment, we see Judas had quit caring. Judas started going through the motions. He had gone through all this with Jesus, and at some point he came to the point where he said, wait a minute, Jesus isn't exactly who I thought. I'm, I, I quit. I'm done caring about the things that Jesus cares about. When life got hard for Judas, his response was to start going through the motions. He did all the other things the other disciples did, but he didn't care. He didn't care. Now we look into this well and see a little bit of our own reflection, don't we? You ever gone through the motions? You ever spent time with Jesus or in church or you're, going, you're just going through the motions of life? You're just plodding along and doing the whole motion thing and going, uh, at some point maybe God will see my motions that I'm at least doing the action and all will be well. But at some point have you ever quit caring? Have you ever been a Christian whose heart isn't engaged with God? 
Have you ever done the Christian things for all the wrong reasons? Jesus knew this about Judas. He knew Judas had got to this point of going through the motions and not caring. And he handed him the money bag anyway. And this is the moment for Judas. If we put the Gospels together, we see this is the moment for Judas. I know it is because in the passage we just read around your table this morning, Matthew chapter 26, Judas says this. As soon as this had happened, this whole perfume incident had happened, the very next thing that happens in Matthew 26 is then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? This was the moment when Judas saw the money that could have been had and he realized what Jesus said about preparing him for burial. When he realized that this path Jesus wasn't on, this was the moment when he realized it. Judas said, I'm done. He walked back to Jerusalem to the religious leaders and he sells Jesus out. He looked for an opportunity. He says, what do you take? And they said, we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Now Judas has fully left Jesus' camp. But he's still in Jesus' camp. (laughs) So what's he going to do? And the last thing we see here is his, his, his hypocrisy and his death. Because now Judas has to live the life of hypocrisy. In his heart, he's quit on Jesus. And he's just waiting for this moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 21 that you read today. When evening came, verse 20, Jesus was reclining at the table and with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. So they're sitting around having dinner. This is the Last Supper. All the disciples are there. They're gathered. He says, one of you will betray me. Well, they were very sad. They began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. For 11 of these, they were shocked. They didn't suspect Judas, and they were terrified that it would be them. They were very sad, began to say to one another, surely not I, Lord. But Jesus replied, the one who's dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he hadn't been born. Then Judas... The one who would betray him said, you notice he's just repeating what the other 11 said. He's going through the motions. Surely not I, Rabbi. Can you imagine what Judas was thinking at that moment? Well, all the other 11 said, surely not. I I better say it too. And when those words left his mouth, the hypocrisy that was there. He's pretending to follow Jesus. And of course, Jesus knows this. Judas ends up leaving and and we meeting back up with them in the garden later, betraying Jesus to the death. And then in the end, Judas took his own life out of loneliness and regret, but not repentance. Judas had quit on Jesus. That's a little backstory, how G- Judas got to this point of quitting. The second thing we need to ask today then as a response is, how do we, we get to the point of quitting And how can we avoid getting to that point? Because life is hard, right? Life is simply hard. Life is hard. Very few of us have lives that turned out like we dreamed. It's important to remember about Judas that Judas had a dream just like the other 11 disciples. They all shared it. The Messianic prophecies were running rampant in the first century about people saying, 
oh, the Messiah is coming. He's going to liberate us from Rome, the oppressive hand of Rome. And we're going to have political freedom to rule our own country. We're going to be a world powerhouse again if this Messiah would just come. And the other 11 disciples, just like Judas, got into this thing because they dreamed of a time when their country had political freedom and world power. And they saw the Messiah doing this. And then they thought Jesus was this Messiah. But as Jesus taught and as they lived with Jesus, they realized that Jesus' dream of a Messiah and plan for a Messiah was different than their dreams. Eleven changed their dreams to be with Jesus. Judas didn't. How do we get to this point? Well, when life is hard and when we acknowledge our dreams, sometimes we need to acknowledge that our dreams are just our dreams and not God's plans. You see, Jesus doesn't promise that your dreams will come through Rather, Jesus invites you to his mission. I can't say that enough times. I'm going to repeat that because it's so important. Jesus doesn't promise that your dreams will come true. Jesus invites you to join his mission and his plan. Friends, this is huge for us to understand. Because what Jesus is saying is, I'm asking for more of you than just to fit me into your life. Most of us think, well, you know, we went to college, we had a dream. You know, or I'm going to college, I have a dream for my life. And we think, and for most people, the dream you had when you were 15, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, it didn't, life didn't turn out that way. Sometimes it does, but for many of you, life didn't turn out that way. But Jesus says, it's not about your dream, it's about my mission that I'm sending you on. This is where true life and true joy is. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but ever, whoever loses his life for me will find it. There's two simple things we do to avoid getting to the place where Judas was. One, we take up our cross. You know, in Jesus' day, you have to remember when Jesus said this bit about taking up his cross, he hadn't been crucified yet. We think take up your cross and we think of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross where Jesus died in our place because he was the one perfect human being that had ever lived who could, being God, die in our place. And we think of that whole atonement and redemptive work, but that's not what Jesus was referring to when he said take up my cross because he hadn't even gone there yet. What Jesus was saying is, by the way, you know that the Romans execute people. You see it regularly. Rome reminds us of their power. They put a big cross on the road. They leave people up there for 24 to 48 hours until they die. And it's a reminder that we have power over you. The, to take up one's cross meant you literally picked it up because you were walking and carrying your cross to your death. Now, this is where it gets hard because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it means you have to die to yourself. Like Judas, we quit on Jesus if we try to make him fit into our dreams. Do you see where this happened with Judas? Jesus said, you've got to die to you and your dreams if you're going to follow me and embrace this good mission that I have for you and your life becomes about me. And Judas said, nope, no thank you. I'm not interested in picking up my cross. I want to walk my way and my path. And Jesus, if you want to fit into my plans, then let's talk. See, this is the picture. My dream for my life is whatever I want. But Jesus says, 
My dream for your life is whatever Jesus wants. It's his way of life for me. I'm picking up the cross. Judas quit because Jesus didn't fit his dream. Some of you today are at a point where you are at a full-blown midlife crisis. It happens to people my age, right? <laughs> we go through a full midlife crisis. We realize that there are fewer days ahead than there were, are, there were more days behind and fewer days ahead. And we start to think, my life, I haven't accomplished any of the things that I thought I would accomplish in life. And we have this midlife crisis. And so what do we do? We buy toys. We somehow think if we get more toys, life will be more meaningful. And Jesus says, it's not about your dream. Pick up your cross. Maybe you went through a really difficult divorce. You just went through a time and you went through a divorce and it was painful and hard. And you stopped and you went, Jesus, I never planned for life to turn out this way. Maybe you're at a job and you're like, I never expected to be in this job. You know, maybe uh, you're just completely at a place where you're totally disillusioned with church. You had thought, I, I never, ever dreamed that I'd be here, but I am disillusioned with church. It happens. Uh, there's a growing number of Americans, especially 50-something Americans who are in their 50s, who are just turning their back on church. They're saying, you know what? I don't need the gathering of the body of Christ. I don't need the fellowship of this. I can do this thing on my own. And they're meeting in their living rooms with their dogs and saying, that's church. Because... Completely ignoring Hebrews, which says, don't give up on the assembling of ourselves together. What happened to Judas? Judas decided to do it alone. You want to avoid quitting, you take up your cross, which means we invest in community. Uh, the average ch church attendance in America is 1.6 times a month for evangelicals in America. I did the stats for Waukee Community Church. Uh, I don't know where you think we stand, but uh, it's 2.3 for us. 2.3 times a month, the Sunday gathering. Now, what stat I don't know is how many of us are involved in community outside of the Sunday gathering, because churches, this is just the reflection of us on Sunday morning, but we're constantly interacting with each other, or we should be, throughout the week. So where are we encouraging one another in the body? You want to you become a Judas? Try to do it alone. Jesus said, take up your cross, which means being invested into a family of people who have taken up their crosses. Jesus said to Judas, your dreams are not the plan, but don't quit. My dreams are better. See, Judas had in mind the saving of Israel from Rome, but Jesus had in mind the saving of the whole world, including the Romans. Saying yes to God means living like Jesus, even when we have to set aside our preconceived notion of who Jesus is. The second way we avoid becoming Judas is to remember that God doesn't quit. And this is maybe the most encouraging part of the whole story, because after all, Judas' story really isn't about Judas, it's about God. Jesus pursues Judas. Jesus hands him the money bag, even when he knew. Je Jesus gave Judas every chance and every opportunity to experience the joy of following him. God doesn't quit. Jesus could have quit on Judas long ago. We need to remember this. Even if we were to the point where we're feeling like, I don't know, I'm thinking this Jesus thing didn't turn out like I thought it would, and I'm ready to just pack it in and quit. And even if you get to that point and you have quit on him, he will not quit on you. 
And this is the gospel. Jesus, uh, Jesus in pre-existent form in the Trinity, when he was present at the creation of the universe, when he had a hand in that, Colossians tells us, when he was there, when Adam and Eve were created, and when Adam and Eve turned their back on him, God didn't quit on them. He had a plan, and that plan is Jesus. When Jacob deceived God, when he said, God, I know you've chosen me, but I'm going to do this my way, God didn't quit on Jacob. When the Israelites strayed and did things their way and worshipped false gods, I mean, they just turned their back on God and fully prostituted themselves to Baals and Asherah poles. And they did this, and God didn't quit. And when Judas stole money from the bag, God didn't quit on him. And life is hard, and if you're questioning God, and maybe you're thinking, oh no, maybe I have quit on God. He hasn't quit on you. Even to the end, Jesus spoke with words of love to Judas, and he's doing the same with you. Friends, I just can't encourage you enough today to embrace the dream of Jesus. Embrace the plan of Jesus. Ask him to change you from the inside outward. Ask him to transform you in your heart so that you're not giving up on him. Even in the end, Judas uh, was spoken words of love. He, got, he received those, but, or Jesus spoke those rather to him. Words of love. And God loves you deeply today. Judas' plan was liberation from the Romans. God's plan was the salvation of the whole world. I want to ask you to just pause as Peter just plays for about 60 seconds. Just sit there. You're at a table. You've got a piece of paper. Maybe this is the time for you to respond to God. To say, you know what, God? I, I have quit or I'm on the verge of quitting on you. Maybe there's something you need to write down today as you talk to him. Spend about the next 60 seconds in reflection and then we'll sing together.